There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Take your Bibles and go through, go to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. The book of Jonah. We'll look at the first three verses of chapter 1 as just kind of a Let's just call it a a trumpet blast at the beginning of a race. We're going to go back to them in coming weeks and look at them in greater detail. I want us today to look at the book of Jonah as a whole. Let's all stand out of honor and reverence to God's word. Jonah 1, verse number 1. Read down through verse number 3 just to get us started. Jonah chapter number 1. and Look at verse 1. Now... The word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the the story of Jonah, verse by verse, all four chapters of it. And I want to place it under the heading, Into the Heart of the Lord. I believe that the book of Jonah, although it is only four chapters long, shows the great depth and the the depth of the heart of God's love for human beings. And that's what I want us to look at and kind of take a a telescopic view of the book of Jonah this morning to whet your appetite for coming weeks. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, we love you this morning. God, I thank you that chains are broken. Father, when we lift our eyes above the hurt and the pain of life, the difficulty of life, and lift our eyes unto the hills from which cometh our help, Father. God, our change in perspective will lift our souls and spirits, Father. It will cause the things that bind us on this planet and in this life to fall from us. Father, help us to do that. God, help us to see your great love in this book of Jonah as we skim past the entire book this morning in a very close, uh, like a panoramic view. Father, I pray we'd be able to glean the insights of the, of the book as a whole. Oh God, speak to us this morning. Show us this wayward servant. Show us this lost city in need of God. Father, we'll give you glory for what you do this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. There was a minister who was retiring from a church. He was leaving that church and he was delivering his last sermon uh, from the church where he, that pulpit he had preached for many, many years. After the message was over, he was stopped in the back by one of the church members as she went out the door. She asked the pastor an unusual question. As he's, you know, he's about to leave. This is his swan song. And she said this, 
Do you know what the most important thing you said in all your years of preaching and ministry in this place? What is that the minister inquired? Here's what she said. You told us we cannot do anything to get God to stop loving us. You know, the most important thing that you can learn in life is that the love of the Lord, the love of the God of heaven, is an unending love. Adam and Eve were disobedient, and yet God loved them and clothed them. Abraham was a liar, and God loved Abraham. Jacob was a deceiver, but God's love remained. Moses was a murderer, Aaron an idolater, but God's love persisted for them. Rahab was a prostitute, and God loved her. Samson was an arrogant womanizer, and God visited and loved Samson. David was an adulterer, a murderer, a liar, and a hypocrite, and yet God's love freely flowed toward David. Peter was a denier. James and John were impetuous. And Thomas was faithless. And yet the love of God toward them was undiminished. Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul, was a murderer, a hater of Jesus, and a persecutor of the church. And yet God's love is unceasing. With every story, with every example from God's Word, His love just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. For your life, you think of the darkest moments of your life, dark times of unbelief and rebellion against God. God's love is undiminished. It never fades. You never reach the bottom of God's undying love. The psalmist expressed the love of God this way. Psalm 36, 5, Thy mercies, O Lord, is is in the heavens, and Thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Psalm 103, 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. Psalm 26, 3, For Thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. Psalm 63, 3, Because Thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise Thee. The modern hymn writer put it this way, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. Never is God's love more clear than in His only, in the death of His only Son Jesus on the cross of Calvary. His Son dying for your sins. Oh, to fathom the great love of God seems as though the love of God is an ocean which depths will forever remain unfathomed. You know, there are places on this planet, seas so deep that we have yet to see what is at the bottom of those depths. God's love is an everlasting deep ocean that can never be found to be at the bottom. I believe that one of the most unique places in the Scripture where the love of God for man is on full display is this little book of Jonah. 
I love the book of Jonah. Ever since I was a kid, Jonah, well, my mom and dad would buy me these little records, these little, it's, it's a plastic flat discs that have grooves on it that you turn and it make noise. Mama would buy me those little books and uh, buy me the record with the little book and it was a read along and I'd read along as the, they would tell the story of Jonah and the whale. I've always been attracted uh, to this book and, and its story. And I believe that it shows us firsthand the love of God. You know, for the next several weeks we're going to be studying the book of Jonah verse by verse because I believe the vast love of God can be seen on full display in this little tiny Old Testament book. And that same love, the same love that God had for Jonah, that God had for Nineveh, is the same love extended to you today. I would like to take the time to give you an overview. Oftentimes when I preach a book of the Bible, I like to take one message and just kind of give you an umbrella. Kind of whet your appetite for the entire book. So we're going we're gonna to look at this book kind of like an overview, like a, a panoramic sketch or what I like to call a telesco- telescopic view. You know, it's kind of like looking in a telescope at a planet. You see it a long, long ways away. You can't taste or you can't put your hands on the dirt on the planet. You don't know what the atmosphere is like, but you can kind of see it as a whole. Well, that's what we're going to do with the book of Jonah this morning. Because I believe that even with this view, we can start seeing the breathtaking love of God in just a, just a cursory glance. Each and every one of us uh, can realize something of the vast extent of God's love by looking at three aspects of the book of Jonah. So we're just going to look very briefly at three aspects of the book of Jonah. Number one, I want you to see the setting of a memorable story. As a, as, as a child, I remember my Sunday school teachers uh, uh, teaching stories about Adam and the fruit, or Eve and the fruit. Noah and the ark. Moses and, Moses and his staff. David and his sling. Well, of course, Jonah and his fish. They kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Yet, make no mistake about it, the story of Jonah, as well as all the other stories in the Bible that we have, are not, uh, are not just merely uh, um, stories for uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, myths or fables to teach children uh, certain moral lessons, but they are real historical events that took place in time and in space in human lives. So when we think of this truly memorable story, I want us to think of two aspects. Number, number one, I want you to see first of all, The facts surrounding Jonah. The facts surrounding Jonah. You know, the book of Jonah has been one of the most attacked books in the Bible. Critics have pointed out its outlandish storyline, its fictional hero Jonah, and its seemingly non-existent city of Nineveh. As a matter of fact, When it comes to the 66 books of the Bible, some people call the book of Jonah the Achilles heel of the Bible. The weak link in the chain of divine revelation. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. You see, for centuries, uh, 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 the city... uh, uh, Of course, we look first of all at the city of, of, um, of, of Nineveh. Nineveh was thought not to exist for centuries. 
Centuries went by and they never found the city of Nineveh. But in the 19th and 20th centuries, excavations have located the Assyrian city of Nineveh. Nineveh. It's along the east bank of the Tigris River, about 550 miles uh, on the east, uh, 550 miles from the, uh, the the region of Samaria, and from its ruins, it has been established that the uh, established that the perimeter of the great Assyrian city was about 7.5 miles long. That's all the way around, and the places up to the walls were up to 148 feet wide in the city. There is also a great unfinished outer rampart a protective moat, and the Kizar River flowed through the center of the the city and joined the Tigris on the west side of Nineveh. Now, as for Jonah, many people wonder if Jonah ever existed. And that if he was some kind of mythical figure just conjured up in the minds of, of ancient Sunday school teachers. No, Jonah was a real man. As a matter of fact, now, although you won't find many scriptural references to Jonah in the Bible, other than the book of Jonah, we do see one in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 14.25. Notice what it said, And he restored the coast of Israel from entering the Hamath into the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord of God of Israel, which he spoke by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, uh, which was from Jephthah. Jephthah. Uh, uh, I, I practiced that 15 times this morning. Gath Hefer. Gath Hefer is the name of the city. Now, Gath Hefer is a real city. It's in the Galilean region, located about three or four miles from Nazareth. You remember how they used to scoff at Jesus? The, the, the scribes and Pharisees said, well, has any prophet ever come from Galilee as though there never was one? They must not have known their Bibles because Jonah was from Galilee. He was a prophet from Galilee. And we know that he was a contemporary of Jeroboam of Israel from about 590 to 550 B.C. We know that, Je- that Jonah's ministry followed on the tales of Elisha, the ministry of Elisha. So remember Elijah and Elisha and all the miracles that God wrought in that time. We find Jonah's ministry right on the heels of that of Elisha. But the most convincing argument for the existence of of Jonah comes from the lips of the Lord Jesus Himself. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 12, 40 and 41. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. You see, the all-knowing Christ stated specifically without any equivocation that Jonah was in the belly of a literal whale, just like Jesus will be in the heart, literal heart of the earth in the tomb, and that Jonah literally went to preach a message to the people of Nineveh. With, one, with two verses, Jesus 
kills all the liberal arguments about the validity or the, or the realness of the book of Jonah. This is a real story. Backed up by the all-knowing Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's also mentioned when Jesus' words in the context of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Jesus wouldn't put a, 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 a mythological person in the same breath as, as two verifiable uh, uh, people that are historically documented. No, he's mentioned in the same breath. Jonah was a real person. There was a real man named Jonah. There was a real man named Jonah who God told to go to Nineveh, who would not go to Nineveh and tried to go to Tarshish, who God caused to be part, swallowed up by a whale, spit out on the beach, and made a beeline right to Nineveh, preached the message. The city well, repented at that message. God, Jesus verifies that with His own words. That is the setting of this memorable story. So anytime anybody tries to take the book of, well, you know, that book of Jonah, that's full of fairy tales about big fish and people getting spit out of them and, and this and that. We're going to look at that a little closer in a moment. But know this, that this is a real setting, a real person. These events took place without qualification. It is a real happening. Now, I want to talk about not only the facts that surround Jonah, but the fish that swallowed Jonah. Then there is the fish. Not only the city, not only the prophet, but there's the fish. I heard a story about a preacher. He was an older preacher, and he was kind of getting off of his game a little bit. He got up one Sunday, and he said, This morning, I'm going to preach on the Jonah that swallowed the whale. Everybody kind of looked at each other. He went along and found the book of the Bible and said, and again, we're going to preach on this morning the Jonah that swallowed the whale. Finally, one old deacon voiced up and said, Preacher, don't you mean the whale that swallowed Jonah? And the preacher said, Well, whichever way it was, there was a whole lot of swallowing going on. <laughs> a lot of times people find it difficult to swallow the story of Jonah being taken in by this whale. There's an account in history actually from the 1800's by the, about a man by the name of James Bartley who was reportedly to have been swallowed by a whale during a whale expedition near the Falkland Islands. He was in the belly of that whale some 18 hours. Unknown uh, to the other sailors, they actually caught the whale that swallowed this man, James Bartlett, brought it aboard and were quickly, because of the hot sun, had to, had to you know, dissect and cut up and, and process the whale. In doing so, they were shocked to find James Bartlett in the gullet, in the gullet of that whale, in the belly of that whale. They said that he came out after that 18-hour experience with completely bleached white skin and he was blinded in his eyes because evidently of those gastric juices. Now, there have been people go back and they've, they've, they've kind of made argument and say, well, this is just a fictitious account. There's arguments really on both sides of this story. But it really doesn't 
how it really doesn't matter what happened to James Bartlett in 18 whatever because Jonah in Jonah 1:17 said now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah it was the Lord that created the fish that was able uh, to perfectly fit a prophet <laughs> it had a belly made like a glove for a prophet. God made a fish to fit this prophet. I like what my pastor said. My pastor years ago preached on Jonah. And man, I had just such a good time listening to my pastor preach out of the book of Jonah. He said this, If God wanted, He could have made made a minnow or a gnat to swallow Jonah. It would not have been a problem in the case of God. Listen, it doesn't matter what God said. It could have been a minnow. It could have been a gnat. I heard one guy say it was an RV. God made an RV to get Jonah. He called it a repentance vehicle, a whale. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is God created this fish. This miracle of Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights was used to speak of the miracle of the resurrection. Jesus directly uses Jonah's time in that belly to equate to Jesus being in in the heart of the earth in the grave. You will find, and, and listen, if you have a problem, if you have a problem with a, with a, a man getting swallowed by a whale in the Bible, and you have a problem believing that, don't read anywhere else. Because it gets more bizarre from there. I mean, you'll find things like water turning into blood, rivers parting of themselves, bread falling from the sky, pillars of fire by night, protective clouds by day, birds delivering meat to a prophet, fire falling from the sky, pebbles killing giants, water turning to wine, lame men walking, blind men's eyes eyes opening, and dead getting up and walking around again. I mean, listen, if you're going to get hung up on the story of a man being swallowed by the whale, you might as well just put that Bible back and, and just don't read any more of it. Because we have to receive what God has told us. And, and there may we be anecdotal evidence that this could take place, but the reality is we're dealing with the miraculous here. We're dealing with a God that created this earth in six days. He can do whatever He pleases. If He wants to make a fish that will fit a prophet like a hand and a glove, He certainly can do it. That's the setting of the memorable story. Notice second of all, I want you to see the salvage of a wayward servant. The salvage of a wayward servant. I read the story about Pastor Hayes and a guy named Willie. Pastor Hayes met Willie at the gas station early one morning. Pastor Hayes was trying to sell a car and Willie was trying to sell some dope. Neither of them were buying any that day. But Pastor Hayes convinced Willie to come to church on that following Sunday. And he did. And as a matter of fact, after a while, Willie gave his life to the Lord Jesus. But yet Willie had a problem. He kept falling back into his old ways of selling dope and chasing women. And every time uh, he'd get backslid, Pastor Hayes would say, I'm going to have to dismiss you from your place in church, from the, from the uh, ministries and the, from the positions we've given you in church. You can't do that and chase women and smoke dope at the same time. 
And he'd tell him, you need, you need to get your right, life right with the Lord and he could come back and serve again. The discipline didn't drive Billy, uh, Willie away from the church. Instead, he'd say, don't give up on me, preacher. I'm going to get it right someday. I'll get it right. Today, Willie is still faithfully serving the Lord. He finally got it right. You know, a lot of times we do fall into a wayward situation. We do fall into a situation in which God has to discipline us, has to, has to give up, take us out to the woodshed and get our attention real good. But it works. And we see that loving discipline in the book of Jonah. I want you to see, first of all, when we think about this wayward servant, I want you to think about God's commission. God's commission. The story of Jonah starts out with this phrase, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. The word of the Lord. God is speaking to man. God has something for him to do. You see, God is commissioning that man for his service. There's a local pastor here in town that they've been sharing a video of one of his messages preaching. And in that video, he is, and I watched it myself, couldn't believe it. The pastor told this congregants, he said that for God to do anything on this planet, that he has to have, he has to have a human body to do it through. He said, if if God doesn't have a human body to do His work through, uh, then 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 His hands are tied. That's why you got to have people awake and twenty four hours a day on certain type, certain places on the planet at any one time, so God can do things. Well, that pastor must not have read his Bible too well. Because God in plenty of places in the Bible has done things without the use of man. Did it without a, the, the, a man's hand to make the action. You see, God didn't need a human to create the universe in six literal days. He didn't need a human to hand, uh, to hand a human hand to flood the earth with judgment. God did not need a human to start to, uh, to being part parting the Red Sea to send manna from heaven. God does not need you. Listen, you're not a rod. A rod seems to be undispensable for the Yankees. You're 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 not a you're not a top shelf. Athlete, when it comes to serving God, God don't need you. The truth of the matter is, it is a privilege for God to use you in whatever realm or aspect in His kingdom work that He sets before us. It is a privilege for God to use you. So many of us go around like we'll be a great loss. Boy, I tell you what, that church would fold if I didn't stop, if I stopped coming. Boy, I tell you what, if that preacher didn't have my tithe, I tell you what, they'd have problems down there. Well, I pray, if I didn't do so and so, well, things just wouldn't move around that church. Listen to me. God doesn't need you. In the nine years I've been here, He's proved it again and again and again and again. We need to change our mindset that it is a privilege. It is an honor to be a servant of God. To be used by God. 
God doesn't need you. But He delights in using us to accomplish His purpose. It tickles God's heart, so to speak, in my dad's language. It tickles God's heart that He can use you. That He can pour His mission and what He's doing on this planet through your life, through your hands, through your feet. It's our privilege, a distinct honor, to serve God in whatever capacity. Philippians 2.13 For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. I love that verse. It is God, it is, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. George W. Truett famously said, To know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To find the will of God is the greatest discovery. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. When I get to heaven, I want to know for sure as I stand before Him that I did the will of God for my life. I may not have done it perfectly. I may have failed Him a thousand times and in a thousand attempts fallen and risen up again. But I attempted to do His will for my life. Not my own. Jesus said, we went over to Sunday school, Jesus said, if you will not take up, you can't be my disciple unless you take up my cross and follow me. Not my own will, but His will for my life. Oh, you see, oh, the love of God. What is God's love for you and me? That He would make us His workmanship and accomplish His purpose through us. I wonder, do you know the will of God for your life? What is God's will for your life? Don't shrug it off. Well, I'm, I'm 10. I'm 15. I'm just 23. I'm, I'm 35, 40, 50. Do you know the will of God? Hey, are you, are you searching for the will of God? The privilege of allowing God work through you? Or, or is Christianity just kind of something you do on the weekend, like bass fishing and watching NASCAR, you know? What is it with you? Do you want to know the will of God? God's commission was on this man. Second of all, not only God's commission, but God's correction. The problem with Jonah is that Jonah thought the will of God for Jonah's life was Jonah's decision. Did you hear what I said? The problem with Jonah is that Jonah thought that the will of God for Jonah's life was Jonah's decision. He thought that doing God's will was a choice. Warren Wiersbe said Jonah forgot that the will of God is not an option. It is an obligation and an opportunity. You know, we'll delve into the many reasons why maybe Jonah said, Ah, I'm not going to Nineveh, I'm going to Tarshish. And he skipped town, went down to Joppa and got on a boat running from God. We'll go over some of that in the future. But much of Jonah's, uh, uh, we'll go over that later in in the story of Jonah. But much of the brass tacks of the matter of the story of Jonah is that Jonah disobeyed God. Plain and simple. Much of Jonah's story is taken up with him running away from God. 
Look at verse number 3. And Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare thereof and went into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Child of God, I'm here to tell you that you cannot run from God. You can't go far enough to exit His presence. You can't dive deep enough to escape God's grasp. There's no city where you can lose your, yourself in the crowd. There's no ship crowded enough where God cannot track you down. He knows where you are. If you're disobedient to God, if you turn your back to the will of God, I guarantee you God will find you. There's no argument that can stand up before God's service. Is that you? Are you running from God? Are you, are you here you're running from God? You're in a nice comfy ship on the way to Joppa running from God. Problem with many of us today is we're trying to set up housekeeping in the belly of the whale. We're down with seaweed around our head. And we're trying to find a nice spot. Hey, it, you know, it's not too bad in the belly of a whale. You know, this, this, is, this is not too bad. We, we can make do here. This, this can be all right. This will be fine. We can do this. Reality is God has so much for you on the other side of obedience. Are you living in a well of a belly and trying to call it home? Trying to take up housekeeping on the inside of the acidic, putrid, disgusting route of running from God? It's a miserable place to live. I know. Take my word for it. I was there trying to set up housekeeping in the belly of a whale. Let God... uh, And let... Listen. uh, God... uh, uh, Let's see. He has a love for us that will not let us go. Listen to this wayward servant. Listen to me who ran from God before. God will not relent. God will not quit. He'll let you live in misery. He'll let you live in defeat. He'll let you live in dysfunction. As long as you want to. In the belly of that well. To elicit your Obedience. Yet the God of heaven loves you and pursues you. He is a God. And look look at chapter number 3. I love chapter number 3. Look at verse number 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah a second time. (laughs) A second time. You may be here running from God this morning, but He is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. Believe me, I've tried them. I know them. He is a God of the second chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second chance. He paid a heavy price in the belly of the whale. But God still used him. God still used Jonah. He is a God of the second chance. Stop running from God and let God have His corrective work in your life. Notice last of all, we've seen the setting of a memorable story. The salvage of a wayward servant. Finally, the saving of a condemned city. At the forefront of the book of Jonah is not the servant necessarily, but the city. What elicited God to come to Jonah? 
the city of Nineveh. The city was the whole reason that God called the servant. A city steeped in sin. You know, when we look at the story of the book of Jonah, we clearly see God's love for a lost world. God didn't owe Nineveh anything. We'll see in a moment they were a pagan, wicked, violent, anti-God society. Nineveh was a city filled with pagan Gentiles that had their eyes set on the destruction of Israel. Yet God in love and compassion sent them a message, an ultimatum. He didn't just wipe them out of the face of the earth, which He could have done in any moment. God could have said, I don't care what Jonah does. Poof! And destroyed Nineveh. God had love and compassion on this people. Notice, first of all, we see the missional desire of God. The missional desire of God. You know, many would argue that Joshua and not Paul was the first missionary sent to the Gentiles. I mean, it makes sense. You think about it. The first missionary sent outside of Israel to a Gentile people is Jonah. The... the, the, the city of Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian nation. The Assyrians were a fierce and cruel nation who showed little mercy to their captives. They had conquered an area that comprises what is now known as Iraq, Syria, Jordan, and Lebanon. And by the 7th century B.C., Assyria occupied and controlled the eastern shores of the Mediterranean Sea. They looked over Israel as an ever-present threat. A threat to God's people. And God would eventually use Assyria to defeat Israel and take them captive. Maybe that's the reason why Jonah didn't want to go. Praise God, let the wrath of God fall on them. They won't attack us. They won't take me and my family captive. They were a bloodthirsty and violent pagan people. And yet God sends His servant to them with the threat of coming judgment. I want you to hear the heartbeat of God's love for the nations that are saturated with words and dotted with of nations that are not... That are not I want you to see the heartbeat of God's love. Not for, not for the nations that are saturated and dotted with churches, but for nations where God is hated and blasphemed, where God is misrepresented by demonic religion. Listen, we may look at the Middle East soiled in the blood of religious conflict and see it as insignificant. We don't want to bother with it. I hate that we get keep getting dragged into that region of the world. Yet the God of heaven loves that region. You know, the scenario of of Jonah being sent to Nineveh is like Sam being sent to the ISIS region of the Middle East. Sent him as a lone servant by himself with a message of coming judgment. You and I would look and say he's a sitting duck. He'll be glad. He'll be, he'll be good if he'll make it through next week alive. God elicited a citywide revival through one man. That although it took a, couple, a time or two 
to get him there was obedient to God. God loved those people. God loves those people in the Middle East that cringe their teeth and have the blood of Christians on their swords. God loves them. He wants them to know His Son died for them. In Bangladesh, in Southeast Asia, in China, in the, in the South America, in Ecuador, in Bolivia, in Honduras. There's a people there that hate God, that spit in His name, and He loves them. And His only desire is to send one obedient prophet to them with a message of reconciliation. Since the days of old, God uh, has been missional. And when we send aid to missional works, and when we ourselves and our sons and daughters venture out into the unknown reaches of the planet, carrying a Bible in our hand and the gospel on our lips, they do so as a desperate expression of the love of God in Jesus Christ. When you write a check and when you give to help missions, I want you to remember that at the depth of the heart of God is a willing desire to reach this world with the news of the gospel. And when you pen that check and when you give and you young people and middle-aged people as you debate, is God calling me? Is God calling me to a mission field? I want you to remember that when you say yes to that call and God has indeed called you to the mission field, no greater expression of the love of God could ever be fathomed than for you to step out of your region of the country and go to a place where God is despised and stand on a street corner and tell them that judgment is coming, but Christ has died. Repent and believe the gospel. No greater expression of God's love is found. The missional desire of God, the merciful delight of God. You know the story. You know the story how that Nineveh turned to God. You know, some have scoffed at the thought of an entire city of Nineveh, a pagan city, and a people of an entirely different language than Jonah would turn to God under the message of Jonah. I mean, have you ever thought, thought it was a little bit shocking of what took place in Nineveh? A crazy guy with bleached skin, seaweed hanging off his shoulders, comes, brings a one-sentence message all through the city. I mean, it's enough to give me the creeps. And they all turn to God. You know, it's interesting to note, just prior to Jonah's arrival, history shows that two plagues had erupted in the, in the region of Nineveh. And then on June 15th, 1763, a total eclipse of the sun occurred. These are all warning signs. They would interpret them as warning signs from God's anger. And may explain why the city is prepared. Was ripe for Jonah to bring one message of one sentence. You know, if God does call you to the mission field, if God does call you to foreign lands, I want you to also know that God has the foresight and the forehand ability and the knowledge to prepare a people to receive what you have to say. Or, or to reject the same as a testimony under Jesus Christ and under that same love. 
But God knows how to prepare the hearts of people to receive. I, I, the image alone of this stranger would have, you know, just kind of creeps me out anyway. This stranger coming in, bleached skin, seaweed. And yet talking about destruction. Look in chapter 3, verse number 10. Each and every individual came to God. Look at verse number, uh, chapter number 3, look at verse number 7. And he, call, and he caused it to be proclaimed. Talking about the king. And published throughout Nineveh by the decree of, of, king, of the king and his nobles saying, Let neither man nor beast, uh, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Let a man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto the Lord. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not. And look at what it says. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and the Lord repented to the, of the evil that He had said that He would do unto them, and He did it not. <laughs> he did it not. He held back. He relented. Oh, the love of God. They responded to God's call. And God rested His judgment elsewhere. I tell you that is simply a foreshadow of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are here today in sin, the history of your life is black with blasphemy, green with greed, red with hate. Come and be washed and be made white as snow. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, yet they'll be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God brings you a message today. Judgment is coming. Repent and trust Christ, the Savior of your, uh, from your sin. What happened to what happened to Nineveh's sin? What happened to the judgment that they rightly deserve for their breaking of the law, their blasphemy, their lying, their adultery, their murder? Where did it go? It went to the cross. What about your sin this morning? Your blackened heart far from God. Where's your sin? It is on Jesus Christ at Calvary. Come, know Him today. Trust Him as Lord and Savior. As God was merciful and gracious to Nineveh, He'll extend the same to you. Oh, God's love. God's love is superabounding toward you and I. Stories told of a gentleman who was a professing, professing Christian and was seriously ill. He became troubled about the thought that he did not have the love that he should for God. His love wasn't what it should be. He told a friend. The friend comforted him with this story. When I go home from here, I expect to take my baby on my knee, to look into her eyes, listen to her charming uh, babble, and, 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 and tire, uh, tired as I am, her presence will rest me. For I love that child with unutterable tenderness. But she loves me little. 
If my heart were breaking, it would not disturb her sleep. If my body were racked with pain, it would not interrupt her day. If I were dead, she would forget me in a matter of a few days. Besides this, she has never brought me a penny, but has been a constant expense to me. I am not rich, but there is not enough money in the world to buy my baby. How is it? Does she love me, or do I love her? Do I withhold my love until I know she loves me? I am waiting for her to do something. Am I waiting for her to do something worthy of my love before I extend it? The practical illustration of the love of God for His children caused tears to roll down the sick man's face. Oh, I see, he exclaimed. It is not my love to God, but God's love to, for me that I should be thinking of. And I do love Him now as I never loved Him before. If you're a little short on your love for God, if the experiences of life have your love for God running on E, then start seeing God's love for you. God's love for you manifested in His in His general grace. Sun in the heavens that ripens tomatoes just perfectly. Breath that is as brisk in the morning as it was the day you were born. Life. Breath. If there's any dead people in here, let's take them out. Health. A body. Vision. Sight. Hands and feet. Touch. Taste and smell. Besides that, not only general grace, but specific grace. God sending His Son Jesus. The regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. The love of God shed abroad in my heart that I could never possibly deserve. A little low on the love of God. Think of your Savior dying for you in His last breath saying, It is finished. The dead is paid in full. Think of Him raised from the tomb alive. Think of the coming of the Holy Spirit of joy and peace and knowing that when I stand before God, all is made right. It is well with my soul. No price can be placed on that. Oh, His love for me, His love for me, it kindles my love for Him. John says we do not love Him because He, uh, because we don't love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. And gave Himself for us. It starts by reflecting and looking upon the great depth of the heart of God. It's when our heart's love will be filled for God. A little low on the love of God. I wonder, do you know Him as Savior? You look the part. You come. To, I'm sitting in church. What else you want more do you want me to do? Listen, we're going to be looking at one of the most frightening passages of Scripture as I've looked at it this week and I've reflected on it. One of the most frightening passages of Scripture in the Bible, Matthew 7, where there are those that have done many wonderful works. They've cast out demons. They've done all these things. And yet God said, I never knew you. They had full confidence. Lord, Lord! I never knew you. Depart from me, ye work iniquity. Last Sunday night we had our drama. 
And I'm telling you what, those words may have come from a little boy, depart from me, but I'm telling you what, there's something down in my soul that trembled at that word. Depart from me, I never knew you. Do you know the Lord? Have you been born again? Heart time, gut check time. Listen, God's love is abounding towards you in the sending of His Son. Do you know Him this morning? Have you received Him? Have you done like these people and turned from your wicked ways and turned to God? Have you yielded your life to Him? Give yourself to Him this morning. If you're here this morning and you're that wayward prophet, listen, you say, Brother Ronnie, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher on the run. I'm not, a, I'm not this or that. God has called every one of us to a part in the body of Christ, a function. I'm convinced that every part of our body is there for a purpose, a reason, by great design. God has designed you to serve in this place if that's where your membership is. This is where you align yourself. This is where you identify. God has placed you in a place to serve a portion to that body. He didn't make you to be a knick-knack that sits on the shelf. You have a function. You have something you do. Are you rebelling against that and running as far from God as you can? Don't worry. God has a, God has a way of putting you in a fish's belly. And if you're in the fish's belly, are you trying to make, take a, what is it to say, put lipstick on a pig and, and, and listen, and make it all right, make it look good, you, it's not going to work. You're going to be more miserable in the whale's belly than you ever would be yielding your life, as scary as it is, yielding your life and your days and your will to Him, to what He wants. 10,000-fold blessings Wait for those that yield their life to Him. Peter asked, Lord, we've given all to follow You. Jesus said that you'll not miss any houses. You'll not give away. You'll not say no to houses and brethren and, and, and sisters and lands and families without God responding a hundredfold in this time and life to come with persecutions, but in life to come. If you give your will to God, if you do what God has called you to do and lay aside your self-life, your aspirations, your desires, and get on His agenda, I promise, me, I promise you there will not be a single regret. Let's stand to our feet, Kevin, if you would come to a song of invitation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Here's your, time, here's your chance to respond. This is just a, a telescopic view of the book. And even from a distance, my, what a story it tells. What about you this morning? Are you a wayward prophet? Are you a condemned city? Come, know Christ. Trust Him as Lord and Savior. Come do the will. Discover the will. If you don't know, get out here and say, God, I want to know it. I want to know what you want me to do. I want to know what your will is for my you come, you come. Yeah, we Father, Lord, I pray you'd speak to hearts in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. 
Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand Podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.